following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. You forgot that part of it, come on. We wanted to see who was still in high school when I was back here and doing the high school camps. Actually, how many were in the high school camps when I was preaching them way back when? I, raise your hand high. Let me see. Oh, look at that godly group right there. Uh, well, we praise the Lord. What a joy it is to be here. These, you guys come up to me and you start giving me a hug and I'm like, I don't know who you are. And you're like, oh, it was, I was in the high school group. You guys grew like from here to here and it's amazing. What a joy it is to be at Faith Bible Church. And uh, man, I love you guys. And uh, my family's coming at the end of the service. I'll make sure I introduce them. I just love being with you. I feel like I'm home. So thank you for making this feel like home. Thank you for the family that you are and, uh, and the hugs and all of that stuff. What a joy. Uh, as you know, I've been serving the Lord for almost 15 years now in Uganda, Africa. And so how many have been there that are here? How, let me just see the really extra spiritual individuals. Uh, here they are right here. So praise the Lord. Those of that have been there, we want to get all of you there. So John Plesnick is coming out again. He doesn't know that yet, but uh, <clears throat> we want to get another team coming out and, uh, and visiting us, I think, this next summer. Hopefully you jump on and, and come out. But it is an incredible journey that we're on there in Uganda. And I am forever grateful to the leadership of this church for standing with us from the very beginning. Uh, when everybody was like, that wild man, I don't know, you know. And, uh, and they stood with me. And, uh, and, but to see what God has done in Uganda is awesome. I decided to move into the small little rural village community and with a goal of saying, how can I reach this community for Christ? And an absolutely unbelieving no understanding about God. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes and, and experiencing the pain and sorrow that comes with it. I move in the middle of that village. Our village is actually called Kuba Mitwe, which means hit the head because they used to do executions in my village in the Buganda kingdom. And so I decided to move there. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know anything about any of that, but, uh, but to watch in the last, uh, in the years that we've been there, to watch God absolutely transform a whole community is just awesome. And, uh, and I declare that this Bible is real. It's alive. And, uh, and the truths here is what our world needs. And, uh, and I've seen it firsthand. We are on the outside. You know the whole judges type of paradigm where they, uh, you know, in Judges, the book of Judges, when they teach it, they talk about the end. People have lived after their own lust and passions and at the end they're like someone help that's where we've come we've come into uganda and they're saying help me help me help me and you say well there's the hope christ is the hope and so what we've been able to see in we took a place that had you know didn't have a solid church at all really didn't have even a christian presence at all we established a church today uh these many years later we now have a church of 400 on a sunday morning and uh, we have a primary school where we are discipling all the kids from our community. There's a target area. We have 450 kids and a primary school. 
and getting ready to establish a secondary school uh, where we'll take these kids just straight up through high school and uh, disciple them from when they're young all the way up. And so only God can do that type of thing. But just to see, like, you, the, everyone will give testimony of the transforming work and the power of God to change. And uh, the answer in Africa is shocking Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, him as king, him as Lord, him as master. And when people do things his way, there's joy. And this simple message has transformed a small little village. In addition to that, since we, that's just small, uh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, we, we're doing more than that, too. We have a second mission, and that's we want to strengthen churches all throughout Uganda. I work at the Baptist Union of Uganda. The Lord has worked in such a way where I've become a, a big part of that union. And again, that's God working his way. But there's 1,500 churches, so we're helping that denomination strengthening its own churches. And uh, with that, then, we work with that denomination then to send pastors to our pastoral training center. Uh, and so we have a pastoral training center that we've established, and, uh, and we've done phase one. We're still doing a phase two and a phase three build-out, which will cost $2 million. And, uh, but we're going to make 90 homes so that we can bring these pastors. We want to teach the pastors to follow the king. Then we want to teach them and their families to follow the king so that when they leave, they go out, establish churches, and teach the communities to follow the king. Why? Because following the king is what the Great Commission is all about, right? And so we have seen that work in our village. We want to see that all throughout Uganda. And so that's what we're doing in Uganda. And we praise the Lord for your support all of these years to be a part of all of that. Can you clap for whoever? Clap for yourselves. Uh -huh. So I don't know where these are. They're in the back. Please, there they are right there. Take them as you go. One, we want you to pray. Please pray for us. Please pray for us. Please pray for us. The missions is hard. It's hard. I can't even begin to tell you how hard it is. Sometimes you feel like a bulldozer just going, and you just got to keep going and keep going. But your prayers, I tell you, sustain you in the midst of all. Pray that we'll just love Christ and that the rest will just take place. Pray that God will open up hearts. Pray that God will bring up leaders. So please pray for us and get our updates, sosministries.com. If you go on our website, then, then fill in to get our updates. It'll pop right at you. Just put your email address so that we can be encouraging you in Christ while you're, you know, while you're in your whatever you're doing, looking at your email. So please get on our website. And as well, please give like a dollar. Because when you give that dollar, you know what's going to happen? You're going to think of us. You're going to wonder what's going on, and you're gonna, your heart will then be with us. And so, but I, again, praise the Lord for this church and your involvement in our ministry and, uh, and the honor it is even to be in this pulpit right now. We know that Chris doesn't give the pulpit up, and so uh, the fact that he's given it to me is, is an honor to me. He's like a dad figure, and, uh, and so we're just privileged to get this opportunity to open God's word. And as a missionary who's lived across the world for 15 years, I can declare to you the sad reality that the America that I left 15 years ago is not the same America today. The world is also changing as a result. 
the moral values of this country are being shoved not just down your throats, but around the throats of other nations nearby. As a Bible student and a a pastor, I can honestly declare and not be a prophet in doing it that the days of end times are upon us. Christ's return is coming when he comes and reigns here. But between now and when he comes and takes dominion over the earth, there is much to take place. If you're doubting the fact that we're in the last days, listen to what 1 Timothy 3, 1 says when it says in the 2 Timothy, in the last days, difficult times will come. Why will difficult times come? And this is an exhortation to the church. Difficult times will come. Are you hearing that? Why? For men will be lovers of self. I only can think of when they say there's like a selfie. Like, I don't know why. But uh, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Sounds like a counseling nightmare, doesn't it, Nigel? (laughs) Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Some people say, what's the difference between America and Africa? I always say Africans love money, Americans love pleasure. But listen to this, the last thing says this, holding to a form of godliness. What in the world, where did that come from? It says a little bit later down in verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, listen, will be what? Persecuted. Did you hear that? In the last days, all that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Why? Because evil men and imposters will, grow, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. For us who can read the signs and observe the media, it is clear that our days are getting worse. When riots become acceptable, the sexual revolution becomes promoted. When pornography and unholy pleasure-seeking becomes the normal expressions, the normal and accepted expressions of entertainment, we're in trouble. It's in, 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 in a day when the only thing that the world is intolerant toward is God's moral standards, we know that we have a road ahead of us that is troubling. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for the church? It means that, that we will be forced to join the immoral parade or pay the price for upholding God's moral standards. Standards which we must uphold, that we must uphold for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the good of humanity. 
I can tell you because I've lived for the last 11 years in a community given over to the flesh. It results in pain. It results in sorrow. It results in abandoned children everywhere and beating your children, beating your wife and and, and everything out of control where there's anarchy. People are not happy for the sake of our community, for the sake of children and the sake of grandchildren. We must uphold God's law. See, America upheld God's law. We've been enjoying God's law and, and it's been embedded into our constitution and we've been Family is family, but now everything is becoming upended. And if we don't hold to God's moral standard, there will be no light. There will be no hope for the world. Dear friends, it means the church is moving to days of persecution. And if you've not been awakened to that reality... I want to call you this morning to wake up. This should be no shock because the Bible, because it's been what has been true of the church all throughout church history. We have been graced as an American society to not experience that reality. Because of Christianity influencing the foundation of our country. But those days are changing And so therefore, I want to remind you of the Sermon on the Mount. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want to take two sections, or what they would call in preaching terms, two pericopes, and bring them together to show you this awesome sermon and how Jesus has brought it together. If you'll start with me in Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 16, we're going to look at that all together. Let me not read it at this moment, just I'll read it as we go. But what I want to do is I want to give you five key words to remember during these last days. Five key words to remember during these last days. How many kids? You guys are all kids, yeah, uh uh-huh. I see that. Kids, five key words to remember during these last days. I want to start with a really funky one as the first word. The first word is characteristics. Characteristics. Look with me in verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we're to understand Christianity properly, and we're to understand what it is to be a Christian biblically, you need to understand that what characterizes Christianity is persecution. That has been the way from the beginning of time, and nothing is different even today. We have been graced, but that's what describes Christianity. And the flow of this text makes that very clear. 
anybody that knows the book of Matthew, chapters 1 to 4, Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Jesus as the, another way of saying it, is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised king of Israel. In chapter 5, that king, Matthew, pushes that king on the center stage to begin to address his audience. And in the addressing of his audience, he declares in verses 3 through 12, he declares who is in the kingdom and who is not. And we know that because look what he says there at the end of each beatitude. Verse 3 says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They will be satisfied. They will receive mercy. They will see God. They will be called sons of God. After every beatitude, those messages that are declared. These are who are in the kingdom. And he's contrasting with those who think they're in the kingdom, but they aren't. You say, well, who's in the kingdom? What are these descriptions? Well, he starts with us in verse 3 that blessed are those who are poor in what? Poor in spirit. What do you mean poor in spirit? Those who by the grace of God and the illumination of the spirit and the, the word of God, they've seen that they are bankrupt in their own spirit. Sin has been exposed. They realize they cannot get, get to God and they realize, oh my goodness, Lord, help. They've become bankrupt or poor in spirit, desperate within them. And anyone who's a Christian, that should be what describes us, right? We don't push sin away. We acknowledge sin, and it makes us desperate to get to God. Well, that, what does that create in us? It creates in us, then, we become those who mourn over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. And then what does that do when we begin to mourn over our sins? All of a sudden, we're not this proud and, 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 and uh, unkind individual. All of a sudden, we become gentle. And all of a sudden, we have hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the work of the transforming work of God within our hearts. And then we become merciful to others. And all we want is purity in heart. That's what happens within. What happens without? Well, he tells us then in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Because we have been changed. Because you have been changed, God puts this desire that we go into the world and we help others know the peace that we have what? Experienced. Amen? If you are not about the gospel and you're not out there proclaiming Christ, you need to look and say, am I truly born again? Because the fruit of the word of God and the transferring work of the spirit is that I must tell others about Christ. They must experience what I've experienced. Amen? But then look what he says next. Then blessed are those who have been what? According to verse 10, our peacemaking efforts come at a cost. A cost to ourselves. It causes us to receive persecution. Our calling, my brothers and sisters, comes at a cost, the cost of persecution. And this, according to these Beatitudes, is what describes us. This is who we are. This is what should be describing every one of our lives. And it's imperative you understand that in these last days. 
that this is normal Christianity. This is what's supposed to happen. It shouldn't surprise you. It should be expected. When we look at our New Testament, we can see very clearly that this is what's taught. Philippians 1, 27-29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, but also to what? To suffer. God not only granted that you would believe, but he granted that you would suffer. That is part of Christianity. Our calling is to suffering. Acts 19, for, Acts 14, 22 says, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 17 says, we are sons of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. Are you a son of God? You're a son of God if you what? Suffer with him. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Dear friends, please know, as days move ahead, that persecution should Describe each one of our lives. Are you ready? These beatitudes show that it's a description of a Christian. And so I would take this moment to ask you a question. Do you experience persecution for the way you live? Let me give you a second key word. And it's just embellishing this one, but that is the word persecution. The word persecution. Look with me in verse 10. Let me read 10, 11, and 12 for you. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Again, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of what? See it and note it. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people what? And, and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to note here what is this persecution? Well, he tells us what it looks like, how people will be persecuted. Verse 11 says they will insult you. They say, ah, you're a dork. <laughs> they'll persecute, literally, the other word, the second way they'll do is they'll persecute you or literally chase you or, or pursue you or seek to drive you out. You won't be in, you'll be out. You won't be accepted, you'll be pushed into the outer circle because they don't want your light. They don't want your conscience. So they're going to push you out of their inner circle and you must become content with being alone. Christianity is hard because it comes at a cost. The third way they do that is they say all kinds of evil against you. This one really hurts. It really hurts. 
when people are giving rubbish about you and, and telling you, making things up that are evil. And you're like, wait, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? People don't like the light, and so what do they do? They bring you down. They slander you to bring them so they don't see their sin. They see your made-up sin. Make sense? I say this so that you know. Jesus Christ, who went before us, the perfect man, was called a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He died a criminal, and he was perfect. Dear friends, do not be surprised when this happens. Embrace it. It is just testimony that you are a Christian. Certainly at times we will be put to death. But often that's not the expression. Often the expression is exclusion. Insults. Attacking you. And you must be comfortable in your own skin. Those are the marks of Christ. Why? Why are we persecuted? According to verse 10, it says, because for the sake of what? Righteousness. Understand this. Usually it's not our message. Usually it is our lifestyle. When, you, when we went into this community... People hated us. I cannot tell you the amount of slander and gossip and abuse you go through. And, 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 and it, it, the whole society is gossip and slander. And when you get into that scenario, it's hard. But you keep loving and just keep loving. And that's why the Bible calls us to love our enemies because the majority of the world will be our enemies. So we give, they give us hate and we give them love. But what is it? It's our righteousness. It's conviction by our presence. Verse 11 says it's because of me. They'll say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That is because of Christ. Where is Christ in a believer? Within us. And apart from Christ, we don't radiate anything but filth, right? But with Christ in us, there, there is a glory shining out of us. And as a result of that, they don't like that, and they see it. Just like Israel, when, when Moses came down from the hill, they, they didn't want to see that, so they tried to put a veil over it, right? Because it made them feel uncomfortable. That's how we are in this society. That's how we should be. We see that two lifestyles, two contrary lifestyles cannot exist. The nature of a Christian lifestyle and the nature of a sinful lifestyle, when they meet, persecution exists. And if that's not happening in your society, then you need to look, am I living the way I should be living? Look later on at 1 John chapter 3. Verses 11 through 13, it speaks of Cain. Why did Cain kill Abel? It was because of his righteousness. He hated his righteousness 
felt jealous and felt convicted and went after him. Jesus in John 15, 25 says, they hated me without cause. How can Jesus who came to seek and save the lost, to love sinners, get killed by the very sinners he came to love? When I moved to Ever, I, I really had this naive idea that somehow, some way, that if I love people, they'll love me back. That makes sense, right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Dear friends, if you're righteous, they will hate you. If you have a true, abiding, vibrant relationship with Christ, they will hate Christ in you. My dear friends, let me just get a real quick note here. We must pull out of the world and stop being immersed in the world so that we can be bright. We can't watch the movies they watch. We cannot watch the entertainment they watch. We can't. We have to draw a line in the sand and say, for, as for me and my house, we are not going to engage in the gods of this world. We are going to serve what? The Lord. Amen? If your righteousness is not being hated, there's a problem. Proverbs 29, 27 says, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright is in the way, in the way is abominable to the wicked. You cannot join those two realities. Proverbs 37, 12 says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. <laughs> you know? There isn't a commonality. In light of these beatitudes, in light of this section of scripture, you come to this, and, and I want to bring you now to a third word. The third word is identity. Third word's what? You guys are all on board. Love it. Identity. Because when you hear persecution, insults, these types of words, they become scary. Am I right? How many say that's scary? Okay, good. Every woman just raised their hand. Guys are like, okay, I can handle it, you know. <laughs> That's scary. And men, you're cowards just like Peter was when it actually happens, right? So from there, Jesus knows that, and so he turns his message abruptly. He turns his message to give us our identity, to explain to us who we are. Listen to what he says now in verse 13 through 15. You are what? Come on, say it with passion. You are salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet by men. You are the... A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the light stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus comes and makes two declarations. You are, you are 
the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He wants to declare to you who you are because that makes it no choice but to live the way you're supposed to live. We must endure persecution. Why? Because you are, you are, you are. Are we together? Who is the you here? All who are poor in spirit, all who are mourned, all who are persecutors, all who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't forget it. In the midst of it all, don't forget it. This is who you are. By nature of your new identity, following Christ, and him residing in you, you have become a new creation. You have become salt. You have become light. At the moment that you are transformed from sin to Christ, everything changes. Christ takes residency within your life. You are transformed from the darkness into what? Light. 1 Peter 2.9. So you have a new identity. This is who you are. My dear friends, we all know that when we look at the salt of the earth, we know that salt is a preservative. And in these days, it was a very critical part of almost medicine because it was used as an antiseptic to kill germs and fight off bacteria. Therefore, present, prevented disease. Maybe we can use it for corona. <laughs> Jesus is, in essence, saying that disciples serve the world like salt serves meat to push back the decays, decaying nature of sin. Living out who we are is supposed to hinder the spread of sin within the world. Jesus' statement brings out the truth that due to sin, the world is decaying. Guys, I don't care what theologians are saying today. The world is not getting better. It's getting worse until Christ comes. This has always been the case. Whether you start in the garden of perfect and it ends in destruction, or whether you start with a new re re uh, created garden after Noah's day and it ends in the Tower of Babel. I mean, it's just always the same. You start with a nation of Israel, a pure people. Well, they weren't pure, but they became pure at one point. And then what happens? They become corrupted. It's always moving that direction. And it's always God's saving work that transforms things from terrible to good. But it's the church it's the assembly of the disciples of Christ who God uses to slow down the degrading impact of sin in a society. So if you fail to do your job, you fail to carry the task in which you are made to do, to carry out. You are the light of the world. You are light. We all know what light does. We all know the function of light. We love light. We see light everywhere. It's displayed on our phones, right? It's displayed on, on bikes and cars. It's displayed on every home around us. That's what happens. Light's everywhere. Why? Why do we love light? 
Because it does what to darkness? It dissipates. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say I put my phone in my pocket. You can't see because I have such awesome, high-quality pants. But, <laughs> but let's say I have my light on. Hello. It's on. And, and if I had a pocket... Cheap shirt, expensive pants. No. <laughs> but if I have my light on and I'm walking around and it's in my pocket, how many of you would see that? And what would you think? Thanks, Rob. I appreciate all the facial expressions. Of no, it's wrong. Like You're like, dude, that guy's a dork. I mean, if I'm like walking around, you're going, <laughs> look at that guy. Well, that's the whole point that Jesus makes here. Who takes a light and puts it under a blanket? Are you weird? Who turns on all their lights and then puts blankets over them? Nobody does that. That would be lame. That would be re ridiculous. That's not what we do. He reminds us of who we are, and because this is who we are, of course you let your light shine. Of course you put a light on a lampstand and not under a blanket. Lights are designed to shine. They're designed to hide what is hidden. I mean, to expose what is hidden. And the same is true for you and I. The same is true for our responsibility. Dear friends, let me tell you something. The solution in the world is you and I being who we're called to be. That brings us to the fourth word the fourth word is shine in verses 13 and 14 jesus gives two facts you are the salt verse 14 you are the light when he comes to verse 16 he comes with the imperative the command what is the command let your light what shine I want you to see this flow, and I've taken time to show it to you. Because you are a Christian, therefore you will be persecuted. That means when you go into this world, you will be persecuted. And the goal and the, ten I mean, the tendency of the world is going to pull you down so that you don't shine. But remember who you are. You are light. You are, li you are salt. So what does he say? So shine, shine, shine. And what do I tell you this morning? Exactly what Jesus said. Shine. Let your light shine in such a way that they will see your good deeds and glorify our God in heaven. Oh, dear friends, as the world gets darker, you can shine all the brighter, but greater will be the persecution. But they must see our God. We were saved for the purpose is of exalting God, the excellencies of him. People are going to hell. The consequences of sin is hell. And what are we to do? We're to shine that the world might see their own sin and come to the saving graces of Christ. So you must live out who you are. You must let your light shine. And do it in such a way, not that they see you, they see your father who's in heaven. He talks about good works. What are these good works? I believe fully, clearly, and without a doubt, these good works are the righteous deeds which per we get persecution from. 
could be the Beatitudes, are being gentle with a sinful world, are being hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It could be those qualities. I think it's the righteousness that we live. And that's supported by the fact that Philippians 2, 14 and 15 also speaks of not grumbling and complaining, but rather so that we can prove as blameless and innocent children of God. Let me say something, and this is just a side note. If we have a new president, can we honor him? I am tired of people abusing, Christians abusing presidents. Let's honor these men because they are our what? Our leaders. Let's glorify God by our good deeds. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Then he goes on, he talks about submitting to government, submitting to bad bosses, submitting to bad husbands, and the like. This is how we glorify God, by, glorif by, by godly behavior. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. What we're saying is obey the king. Do everything the king tells you to do. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Why? But all these things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Our job is to expose darkness in all places. And this is where it's going to go, guys. Let me just tell you. You're going to start seeing corruption right there in your workplace. Okay? And what happens is everybody's going to say, don't tell anyone. And if you tell, what's going to happen? You're the goody two-shoes that just exposed everything. Oh, dear friend, you have a responsibility to let your light, what, shine. In Africa, everybody wants to hide sin. And what happens? Therefore, there's corruption from the bottom all the way up, and everybody's covering over. And they'll come in with this godly-looking face, but in behind the scenes, there's all kinds of lies and deceit and the gathering of resources that don't belong to them, that were given for people. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Are we together? That brings us to one final word. And I'm going to do what preachers are not supposed to do just because I like breaking rules. Not biblical rules, just these man-made weird ones. I'm going to give you the final word, and that's blessing. I'm going to take you back to the former section. Look what it says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. I'm a missionary. Let me tell you the key to missions. It's dying to this world. You can't make it over there unless you die to here. I know nachos at plane jumper. I don't know why that was a craving when I first got there. Like they're probably not even very good, but that's what happens when you move on the other side of the world. Or island, Hawaiian burger. I mean, that's like godly, you know. That will be in the kingdom, I promise you. But you, you die to all those things. 
Guys, there are things you're going to need to die for. You might lose a job. You might feel it as an outcast. You'll feel all of those things. You might be, someone might slander you and say you're doing things. Don't be surprised. They did that to Jesus. They'll do it to you. Instead, don't get angry. Don't do that. Instead, rejoice and be what? Glad. Literally, be exceedingly glad. Literally, skip and jump with happy excitement. I've been persecuted. You know, I kind of. But why? Because your reward in heaven is what? Is great. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29 to 30, anyone who left his house or brothers and sisters or mother or father or farms, children, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in the age to come. And by the way, when you're persecuted, you're in good company because that's what the prophets have done before us. I love what it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, after people have experienced suffering. He says, therefore, since you have a great cloud of witnesses, let us what? Run. And I would say, in light of Jesus' sermon, in light of who you are, as a persecuted individual, as a light and salt, let your light what? Shine. Oh, living God, May you strengthen and encourage my dear friends. Father, may we be bold, ever moving, and the expressions of our faith. May we love you. May we not be contaminated by the world, but be separated. We ask that you would help our brothers and sisters shine. Help us embrace the persecution in the days ahead. And Father, we ask that you would be, receive great glory from each individual life here. Father, may we be a haven for each other. Help us. May we as well inspire each other by the way we live. We ask this for the praise, glory, and honor of your name, we pray. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.